When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today's guest is somebody who we're really excited to bring to you. Um, Andrew Horn is interesting because I saw him, I've seen him on a few different podcasts, and I was curious to pick his brain about Hmm. one of the topics that we cover in this episode, which is social anxiety, among other things. But 
he didn't disappoint. He definitely delivered mm-hmm. on on all the things I wanted him to, which was really breaking down um, how he works with people, uh, how he, he he's like really good at giving tangible tools, which most mm-hmm. people who have listened to this podcast know I, I love a good tangible tool. So that was really awesome. But um, he is actually in Austin. So he's Austin based. He's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker and he's a leadership coach. Um, and so he actually created this company which is super cool. And look out in the show notes. We're actually going to give you all um, a link to be able to access, I think, a free episode or I don't know what he calls it, an episode or, or an item um, where you can actually send, it's called tribute. And you can actually send these like beautiful video tributes to people that you love. Mm. And so he's going to give all of our listeners um, an ability to do a free tribute, which is super sweet. So look out for that. Um, so yeah, he's like, he's built a ton of companies. He's really smart. And he also is just kind of obsessed right now with this idea of what he's calling social flow, which is like a communication framework that he uses to help people build deeper, more intimate connections and relationships. And so he's pretty multifaceted this one. Yeah. I think, you know, he just had such a really beautiful energy. What I loved so much about Andrew is that he's so, um, you know, he speaks to some of the things that I feel like we have talked about intuitively sensing around social anxiety, but like in a really, like you said, this is what's happening underneath. And here's like the tangible tools that you use to execute. Um, and he'll get into his strategy for doing that. But I think there's so much about, you know, the practice of presence and really being in the inquiry of our thoughts versus taking our thoughts at face value and how we sort of are in the space of attracting what we want to experience in life. You know, I'm always struck by how it comes back to the same principles and how much the baseline of what he's talking about to me ended up being around service, which I love so much because there's nothing that softens our resistance. And I think sort of, um, brings us out of the space of anxiety, like getting into the space of service. It's sort of that out of your head and into your heart thing that we talk about so much. Totally. Mm, Love it. Well, get some Mm -hmm. paper and and pen or get your phone ready to take some notes because there's definitely a lot of note taking, I think, for this episode. So prepare. I'll enjoy. All right. So excited to have this conversation. Thank you for joining us, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Danae. Yeah. So- (laughs) entrepreneur, executive coach, you've got a lot of different hats. It seems like you wear, it seems like you focus primarily on a lot of different hats. What for I sure. gather is like really effective communication as a way to build deep, meaningful relationships, which I want to mm-hmm. talk about. Right. Um, I've also seen though, other interviews where you really dive into the concept of social anxiety. And I think that's something that Danae and I are really interested in talking to you about because obviously as therapists, it's something that I know for me, Danae, I've had clients that really have specifically worked with that issue. Right. Um, but let's kind of start where Danae and I always start because we're always curious about who you are behind the the work facade, right? Like, where did you start? Tell take us back. Like, how did you become <laughs> who you are sitting here in front of us today? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that I probably start by offering a distinction for me, which is the uh, the difference between purpose and a calling. Mm-hmm. And so, I think of purpose as the commitment to something that is greater than the self, and I think of a calling as a commitment to the service of greater than something greater than something greater than the self 
but that your unique lived experience has set you up to serve. And so it's like taking your own challenges, your own struggle, and then using that as fuel to contribute to other people who may have endured similar challenges. It's like an important distinction for me between purpose and service and a, and a calling. And for me, I think so much of why I've committed my life to meaningful relationship building and, and effective communication as a mechanism to, to, to cultivate that is because of the, the loneliness and isolation and social anxiety that I endured for so much of my early childhood. And so mm. I, I grew up in Hawaii until I was 14. And what not a lot of people know is that there's oftentimes like a lot of prejudice towards white people in Hawaii, which I experienced and mm. was just a really novel experience. And I think as an adult has given me so much more empathy and compassion for marginalized people. And I just remember that so viscerally until I was 14 of feeling alone, of not really having friends to the point that when I was able to move away from Hawaii when I was 14, it's just, I threw off the bow lines and completely threw myself into this validation seeking pattern of wanting so badly to get other people to like me, to show me that I was enough, to show me that I was smart, to show me that I was fundamentally lovable. And I developed a lot of techniques and tools and strategies that were really effective at doing that. You know, I, at a young age, I was giving TEDx talks when I was 21 and I was building companies and raising monies. And so I could do a lot of things to perform the effective social animal kind of performance. But on the inside, I just had so much dissonance. It's social uh, activities were so draining for me. It's I loved mm -hmm. public speaking, but I would have dry mouth and so much fear and stress mm -hmm. before speaking. And, you know, fundamentally, I just had this moment where everything shifted when I was 27, which was one of the first experiences that I ever had. And we can go deeper into the story if you want to double click on it where I, I got to, I was invited to attend this, this workshop on something called Gestalt Awareness Practice, which mm -hmm. is the communication framework that they use to facilitate retreats at the Esalen Institute in California and other places all around the world. And it's just this very non-dogmatic practical awareness practice that helps people to be transparent with what they're feeling and thinking in the moment. And in that workshop, you know, the, the short version is that I saw for the first time in my life what I was like sharing without any filter, who I was, what I was thinking, and saw that in this experience where I was not performing or packaging myself, that I was truly allowing myself to be the realest, rawest version of who I was, that not only did I feel better, but I saw the way that I was impacting people without trying to impact people. My, my object became simply being who I was. And it was in that shift from an external object to an internal one that I felt so much better and saw myself impacting others and liberating their own authenticity in a way that shifted my entire pursuit, which was one that was fundamentally driven on techniques and tools to communicate effectively to one that is now committed to helping, to, helping people to really access their truth and share that masterfully as a way of building meaningful relationships and liberating other people's truth in the process. And so that would be kind of how we ended up here and along the way, mm -hmm. you know, from technology companies that do it to wilderness retreats, to workshops, there's been so many different outlets of that. And I, and I just have this mantra that I constantly come back to, like, I think that 
my life is just about creating art that reminds me how I want to live. And so whether that's a, a tech company that helps people to share their appreciation with loved ones, whether that's a, a workshop that helps men to tap into their emotions and communicate transparently with one another. Um, you know, it's all these things that just remind me how I want to live a good life on my own terms and, and seeing how some of the, that wisdom that's, that's meaningful and useful to me can be applicable for other people. And, uh, you know, in, in, it seems to, it seems to be. Wow. Um, Andrew, I love so much what you started off with, with what you were saying about purpose versus a calling. And I think when I talk about, you know, something similar to what you were saying, I tend to think of it in terms of fate being the experiences of our life leading us towards our destiny, which is meant like what we're meant to do with all of those experiences and put them together. And I'm just so struck by how, you were having an impact already, it sounds like, with the work that you were doing, with the way that you were showing up in the world, but your internal experience of what was happening was a very different animal. And I'm wondering a little bit about how you feel like you see there's been a shift in terms of your impact and how you are being of service since you started moving from a more authentic space within yourself. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I get goosebumps when you ask that question, because like, mm. This has been my experience over the past several years of even being in a uh, situation like this, where there is pressure to articulate myself, to convey value and wisdom. I used to be on podcasts and I get so excited by them, but I would be so nervous. Like I would mm -hmm. literally have dry mouth before I'd come on. And it was because my focus was so much on uh, being liked by the two of you. It was mm -hmm. on distilling wisdom in a way that this these clips will go viral. So I'm focused on your perception of me. I'm focused on the outcome of the show. And now, you know, I, I literally do this before I get on any talk, before I go and give a, a presentation, or literally when I go and see friends is I'll just ask myself, how do I want to be? Mm -hmm. And before I got on the show with the two of you, I said, you know, I want to be present. I want to have fun. And I want to trust that this is going to go great. And so, and I, and I just know that by giving myself to these intentions that are aligned with my own values, that I'm so focused on what it is that I control and I'm able to detach from these external forces of perception and outcome and rejection um, that ultimately just induce anxiety and tension and resistance. And I always clarify because I imagine that a lot of people who listen to your podcast are high performing and they're like, yeah, it's sure. It's nice to focus on your intention, but you need to think about goals and considerations of like what you want to achieve. And there's this principle in, in flow state research that talks about having a clear goal loosely held. So while it's good to know that, you know, I want to come onto the show and I want to talk about these things because I think that they're most valuable and insightful and can deliver the most value so I can clarify my goals. But then once I see the two of your faces, that's not in my go. frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's there, you know, subconsciously. But it's like what I'm focused on on here is just my own intentionality and what I need to do to be me in this moment. And so how it's shifted and how it's enabled me to be more of service is really by most of the people who I work with and, and who experience deeper levels of social anxiety, I find to have some degree of codependence. Mm -hmm. They are dependent on other people to validate and regulate their own mm -hmm. uh, internal experience. 
And so what happens is that if you are encouraging someone to be themselves, to be authentic, to tell the truth, right? This is kind of about them. It's like to be confident. It's sometimes difficult for those people who are codependent to take action that is in the service of themselves because they're they're inherently more other focused. Mm -hmm. And the really powerful frame that my way of being and, and how I try to teach now is by helping people to understand, and I certainly believe this, is that by offering up the real, raw, unedited version of myself, I am creating space for other people to do the exact same thing. Right. And when I look at the two of you, or when anyone who's listening to this podcast, I want you for a moment to think about your best friend. Think about your siblings or a, a, a parent, a mother and a father. And just ask yourself this question. Do I want those people to feel like they can be completely themselves when they're with me? And if the answer to that question is yes, which I hope that it is, I believe that the only way that you can ethically create that space is by doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want the people around you to feel like they can be themselves, like they can be vulnerable, they can be authentic, they can share the excitement as well as the challenge, then the only way that we can create that space is by modeling it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we hold that frame relationally and just on, on the world, it turns our authenticity into an inherent act of service. Wherever we're going, we're creating that space. And so I think that that is why, you know, I, I oftentimes say that like what I teach is just my practice because when I go and I give a talk or when I do a podcast, whatever that may be, it is me practicing this sort of internally motivated way of being, which is just how I want to live. And that ends up contributing and delivering words and technology and other things. But it's um, it just constantly brings me back to this practice of internally referencing how I want to be and then expressing that into the world. And and that's so much of what this this framework that I've been working on for the past several years and I have a book coming out, Social Flow, is all focused on is really how do we do that? How do we detach from these external forces that bring up the tension, anxiety and resistance and shift our awareness and our attention onto the internal motivators to connect that, that we do have agency and control over? I mean, I would say, too, that that's that's really the way it's funny. I was before we had jumped on this, I, I had a client and we were just talking about um, this exact concept that you're that you're speaking to, but in terms of love. Right. And so if I'm going into my relationship with this romantic relationship in, in this context that her and I were speaking of, if I'm going into my re romantic relationship with this underlying belief that I'm not worthy of love unless I'm doing right, I have to be I have to be showing value in order to be receiving love, right? I can't just be loved for just simply being who I am. If this is my underlying state, right? And we were talking about how do we, how do we begin to work on that? Logically, cognitively, we can say, sure, I know that's not quote unquote true, right? But what does it look like to actually practice embodying that truth, right? But that is not true. And so we were talking about, so then you show up and in your love, love as a verb, love as an action, you love the way that you hope 
to be loved, not with an expectation, not with like, a, I'm going to do this for you. So you're going to do it for me. Right. But I'm going to act loving in the way that I know I'm also deserving of love with the, the trust or the faith that by being that love, I will also be receiving that, that type of love back. And so it just reminded me of that because it, I think that kind of theory, this idea of authenticity as an act of service, it's like loving as an act of service. Right. I mean, it can apply to almost any of these things that we struggle with as human beings. Yeah. I, I, there's so much that I want to double click on in that statement, but I, mm -hmm. I completely, I completely agree with you there. And I, I have this, this distinction that's been really helpful for me. And it's the distinction of loving ourselves and liking ourselves. And mm -hmm. I think that both are really important. Mm -hmm. And I, and I feel that loving ourselves is more of an internal relationship. It's not based on any sort of relationship with the external world. It's like, I love myself because I know myself the only way that I can, like I, I choose to love myself. It's kind of an internal relationship where I, I oftentimes think of liking myself as actually being dependent on how the I interacts with the external world. Mm -hmm. And liking ourselves is also really important for, for confidence, right? It's basically liking ourselves is evaluating like, hey, how do I show up in my relationships? Like, right. how is my focus at work? It's, you know, how do I honor my body and my health? And looking at how we interact with the external world, that it's it's nice to like ourselves. I think we can derive a lot of confidence from there. And so it's like there's loving ourselves, which has this internal kind of factor to it and liking, which has this external focus to it, which are both important. But like mm -hmm. you just said, I think that in anything relational, it's like we can have clear goals of what we want to achieve, but ultimately it's like focusing our attention onto what it is that we can control. Yes. It's like in your example, I would say again, it's, you know, part of social flow, it all starts with intentionality. And so it's knowing going into those situations. It's like, how do I want to be? I want to be loving. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, like regardless of how someone shows up, I can choose to be loving. Without I can condition. work my way back to yeah, right. when when I am loving, what does that look like in this moment, right? Like to be this yes. loving in this moment is to be fully present, is to be right. fully honest, is to be excited to be alive and to bring my energy here. Like so, now I get to, I get to do that. And you talked about something that I think is really important, especially if we're going to open up the conversation about social anxiety and shyness. And I always like to destigmatize this a little bit because it's when we look at social anxiety and shyness is over 50% of people identify as dealing with shyness or social anxiety, right? And so if you walk into a room and you get a pit in your stomach, if you get dry mouth when you're public speaking, you know, if you have that limiting internal dialogue when you're going into a new conference and meeting a bunch of people, just to uh, put that out there that you're in the majority, right? It's a very like normal human experience. We're, we're mm -hmm. relational animals and social anxiety is a, a biologically evolved mechanism that just wants us to not get ostracized or rejected by a group because right. in, in, tri in tribal times, if we were kicked out of our tribe, we were going to miss the hunt. We weren't going to get raised. We weren't going to eat. Country and so die, right? we yeah. really wanted we really wanted to fit in. So it's social anxiety is, is fundamentally in many ways, this fear of death that mm -hmm. has not evolved um, as quickly as our brains have evolved over the past mm -hmm. 2000 years. And so we can empathize with that impulse and that it's natural that we do do that. But a lot of times what I say to people is that your, your strategy and tactics are no match for your identity 
and you talked about you know this this story of unlovability ultimately our mind is seeking certainty mm. and so what happens is that we get locked into these stories that oftentimes develop when we're especially socially in middle school, which is when we start to develop our identity much more based on our social relationships mm -hmm. than our maternal or paternal relationships. And the stories that we lock in, again, are oftentimes these, I'm not smart enough, I yep. can't be the real me, I'm unlovable, I'm never gonna be successful, I'm disorganized, unhealthy, whatever we are. And then what happens is that we have these stories that we're largely unconscious of, and because the mind is seeking certainty it's seeking clarity it will look for evidence in day-to-day -day life that backs up those stories mm -hmm. even if they are limiting even if they bring us pain even if they lead us to not express ourselves fully and connect with other people because the mind its anxiety is just not knowing fundamentally and so our mind is seeking for evidence to back up these stories that are inhibiting our fullest expression of being and so oftentimes what I will talk about is that before we talk about strategies and tactics to change our behavior, the most important ingredient in sustainable behavior change is our identity. Mm -hmm. And I approach this through something I call the social identity, which simply starts by giving people a lens into their internal dialogue and taking it out of your mind and getting it onto the page. But if you were just to think about moments in the recent past where you may have felt some social anxiety, some self-doubt. And if you were just to write out, what is my brain saying to myself? What am I saying to myself about myself, right? It's what are the things that I say that make me feel bad, that hold me back, that lead me to uh, not speak up, whatever those are. And simply by identifying what those stories are, we take so much of the charge out of them because we can see when those stories are trying to paint a picture in our reality. And one of the, the most powerful you know, frameworks that I've, I'm sure that someone's talked about on this podcast before, it's but once we are aware of these limiting beliefs or stories that we have about ourselves, one of the most powerful frameworks I've ever encountered to take the charge out of them is, is Byron Katie's The Work, right? Which is just a four question framework. So let's look at this one of one that, that I had for a very long time as I was starting my first companies right out of college was that I'm not as smart as the people around me, right? Mm -hmm. I was going to big fancy conferences and hanging out with people who were like very successful. And I just always had this limiting belief that the people around me are smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to take this through the work, it's four questions and a turnaround. And anytime you notice yourself feeling bad, in a social situation, oftentimes you're in a story of what the future holds or what people think about you. And I'll mm -hmm. say that one more time. If you think about this again in a social situation, if you are feeling bad, if you're feeling tension in your belly in a social situation or leading up to one, it is almost certainly because you are in a story about what the future holds or how people are going to respond to you or what they think of you. Mm -hmm. And so it's a story. It's a prediction. And once we can identify that we're in a story, then we can ask ourselves these four questions. The first, is it true, right? So are these people smarter than me? I might say like, yeah, they're definitely smarter than me. And then the second question would reaffirm that. It would say, is there any way that I can 100% for sure know that these people are smarter than me? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, not no, not definitively. Like, what is that even, right? And so now I say like, okay, well, this belief that I have is not actually true. So then what I would identify is I would say, 
well, how do I respond when I accept this belief is true? Which I usually do walking into that room. I know for sure that, you know, 21 year old Andrew is like, all these people are much smarter and more successful, capable than I am. Well, wow. It like, it makes me feel small. It makes me inhibited. It makes me want to hide. It makes me not want to meet new people. So now I've identified with these three questions that this story I have that is categorically not true is already leading to me hiding and playing smaller. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the next question would be, who would I be without this story? Who would I be without the story? It's like, well, I'd probably just walk in and, and talk to people. I'd actually probably like, be excited be to talk. How would mm -hmm. I be without it? It's like, well, I'd be inspired. Mm -hmm. And then the last one that it says is, could the opposite be true? Could you be smarter than the people that you're meeting? It's like, yeah, some of them. And just again, to take the charge out of it so that we get to come back into the present moment. We come out of the stories, which again, are predictions. They're, they're not true. And then we get to come back into what it is that, that we control. And so the simplest way that I've been able to synthesize how to be ourselves in social situations is this four question framework I call social flow. And to remember it, you just got to remember four letters and it's a fun little acronym. It's I can. So what are the letters in I can? Are you asking? I-C-A-N. <laughs> and it stands for intentionality, curiosity, hmm. authenticity, now. Love it. Intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, now. And just uh, some quick background about like where this really came from. So the field of research of flow states was started in the 1980s by a guy named uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Mm -hmm. And basically flow states colloquially are the peak state of human performance. It's when you are performing your best, you're lost in what you're doing, you have endless energy to be focused and do the thing that you need to do, oftentimes without effort and time just flies by. So that's that's a flow state. And a lot of the research around flow states has been dedicated towards athletic and artistic and entrepreneurial performance. And um, in his book, uh, one of the things that Mihai says is that for anyone who's trying to create more flow in their lives, there is one quintessential thing they can do to make that happen. And he said it's to develop an autotelic personality. Hmm. And autotelic is one of my favorite words. And it means to do something for its own sake. It's meaning that you do things because the action itself is generative and rewarding, mm -hmm. right? It's like surfing. I'm not surfing so that an hour from now, like I've worked out. I'm surfing because I love surfing, mm -hmm. right? It's like when I'm watching a movie with my son, it's like I'm, I'm watching a movie because I'm enjoying it. Like the act of it is enjoyable, right? It's like, I'm not doing this thing because of the end result. So that's, and he said, to develop an autotelic personality is to draw yourself and put energy into the things that are generative in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what social flow and the ICANN framework does, is it seeks to do that in conversation and communication is because so often we are communicating with the sole intent goal of having a desired outcome or impact on the person that we're with. And what that oftentimes pulls up is, again, tension, anxiety, and resistance. Mm -hmm. And so intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, now, these are things that we can control and that are oftentimes generative. 
so that what happens is regardless of the outcome, wherever we go, we know how to create a generative, enjoyable social experience. We take back agency. So intentionality, uh, how do I want to be? Curiosity, what do I want to know? Authenticity, what do I want to share? And now, how can I become more present? Mm -hmm. And if you look at these things practically, you got to go ahead, Vanessa. I was just going to ask, how does that, how would you relate that to, or I guess overlay that with something that somebody doesn't want to do, right? So if you have to do something that you actually are not interested in doing or does not bring you joy, um, but it's, you know, let's say it's something you have to do for your job, right? Or you have to do for your kid that you don't love to do, but you got to yes. do it. Like, how would that, I guess, how would you articulate how that framework could then help with that? Yeah, absolutely. So what I always say is that a lot of the times when I'm giving a keynote speech is what I'll say. It's that we're not solely responsible to ourselves. A lot of us have uh, families, people who are dependent on us. We have responsibilities and we, we need to make a decision to sacrifice some of our own enjoyment of life, whatever that may be, to provide for a family, to do something that is essential. And what I will always say to people is that there are is going to be some aspects of our life that we do not fully control. And what I will say is that, but there is going to be a chunk of time that is ours, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of where we allocate that time and how we allocate it, that those are the moments that are most important. Because if we have a nine to five job and we need that to support our child, then amen, go and do that thing and provide for your family and do that. And as infinitesimal or small as your free time may be, and you have a passion because you want to start a banking company in your free time, it's to understand like whatever it is that does bring you that energy, whether that is vocationally, whether that's entrepreneurially, or like what I'm focusing on here is relationally, right? It's the, the key to building a meaningful life is going to be our relationships. Mm -hmm. And so how we spend and invest our time and energy in those relationships is I believe the most important investment of our energy that's mm -hmm. available to us when it comes to creating a, a happy, fulfilling life. And so, so yeah, that we'll, we'll oftentimes need to do that. But oftentimes I would say that what, what I'm focused on here is relationally and conversationally is reclaiming a lot of our own enjoyment in conversation. It's because I think for so many people it's how often do we find ourselves in conversations with people where it's just surface level and it's, it's, where did you, how'd you get here? And what do you do? And what are these things? And we find ourselves in conversations that are not stimulating to us that are not giving us any sort of energy or wisdom or insight that's meaningful. And like what I would offer here again, is that this is a way for us to begin to take agency and to create the types of conversations that we generally want to be into and also to give ourselves permission to remove ourselves from those that are not rewarding, you know, and to not need to be liked by everyone or to be understood by everyone, but to allow the real version of ourselves to, to show up and to be present mm -hmm. so that we can start to build relationships on that foundation. And that's a really, you know, it takes a lot of courage to allow the, mm. the real version of the self to be seen because when we allow the real version of the self to be seen, that means that we can also allow the real version of ourselves to be okay. rejected. Yeah. And that, yeah. I love what you're saying so much, Andrew. And I love Byron Katie's work as well. And I think what it has done for me is really um, be a framework to challenge the thoughts and be in the inquiry around 
we can always choose a thought that is going to make us feel defeated or suffer or, you know, resistant to whatever is happening. Or we can reach for a thought that feels a little bit more empowering, or I have a little bit more agency, or this is something I'm choosing versus something that is being put upon me. And, you know, I love how much like it always comes back to service. And to me, that's what I hear you talking about. You know, I say it so much. I know people are sick of me saying it, but my favorite mantra is one I stole from Wayne Dyer, which is the mantra of the lower self is I need more. The mantra of the higher self is how do I serve? And it always like with clients that have social anxiety, I talk about like being present and being curious about that person that you feel anxious around. And what Mm -hmm. do you think their life is like and what's happening for them that they might feel overwhelmed by? Um, But it really does require that we challenge ourselves to come back to that presence that you're talking about. But also, you know, it's if I go to my internal space, it feels sort of counterintuitive. It feels like I'm being self-focused and maybe I'm being selfish. But I find if I'm not really present in the inquiry around the thoughts that are happening for me and challenging and pushing back, then my subconscious is sort of driving the bus and I'm not really showing up in a very loving way for the people in my life because I'm sort of in the story of what they should be doing or who they should be or how they're not serving me in the way that I feel like I need to be served. Um, But yeah, I just love so much of what you're saying. It just feels so like intuitively like, yes, that makes so much sense. Well, and I think that there's something on the other side of that as well today, which is that it's so often we are living out subconsciously these these beliefs that we have about our own enoughness and that expresses itself mm-hmm. in a number of ways but that again like these beliefs oftentimes are limiting because it's the mind's feeble attempt to protect us in some way within the neurolinguistic programming they have this beautiful adage and it says there is no enemy in the mind mm-hmm. there's it's no enemy purposeful. in the mind it's all purposeful Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, is so helpful to understand that these thoughts that we have of nobody really likes me or invites me to anything. I'll never have enough money. It's that this is the brain trying to have a thought so that you will do something that it thinks you need to do to be safe in some way. Right. But what is important and I think where we really start to grow up and take control of our lives where we realize that like those thoughts are natural, but they're mm-hmm. ineffective to create the desired result. And what is really fun, and I think one of the most empowering things that I get to do with a lot of the clients and people that I work with is to move beyond limiting beliefs, to honor those, to learn how to take the charge out of them, but then to instill empowering beliefs, which is not the process of just making up like I am as handsome as Brad Pitt. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like, I don't think I'm a bad looking human, but Brad Pitt is a very attractive man. So it's like, it's not helpful for that to just throw that in there. Right. And so, but what are the empowering beliefs? And it's working through this of, mm-hmm. fortunately, I've, I've created a company that has helped millions of people to do this, a tribute, which is, you know, we, we've helped 6 million people to get these video montages where their friends and their family tell them what they love about them, why they're amazing, right? And what's so powerful and that, and I get goosebumps again, talking about it because the experience of me receiving that first tribute and why it transforms so much is because without having the words to describe that experience, I was, I was so, uh, just, I was so controlled by these limiting beliefs about who I was and, and what I was not. That when I watched that first tribute of 25 minutes of my friends, the people that I respected and cared most mm-hmm. about, who were saying some of the most remarkable things about me, 
and how I've impacted their life and how they see me as a leader and how much they love me. And I just remember that internal dialogue of not enoughness just shut off mm -hmm. because I had this different story that now colored my entire universe. And it was that you are enough, you are connected, you are respected. And it's helpful to have some of these externalities that come in and, and give you new evidence for that story. But also what I find is that when we consciously create the empowering story of our own enoughness, our own power, our own brilliance, our own capabilities, that now our mind will subconsciously start to collect evidence for those stories. Like an example of one that, that I, that just really transformed my life was anyone who really has me in their life, their life is better because of it. And is that true? Like, no, not objectively. Do I believe it in mm -hmm. some way, just deep down? Yes. How does that impact how I show up with people? Mm -hmm. Literally anyone that I'm meeting, whether that is Elon Musk or the person who served me breakfast at Modern Market, like if we really got to know each other, would your life be better? And I'm like, mm -hmm. some way, like, yeah, sure. And that's just a belief that now colors my reality. And so now my mind can collect evidence for this story. And the way that we start to build up these empowering beliefs is, and this is a really helpful practice. Again, if you were to take two minutes and do this, but if you were just to ask yourself, what do my best friends admire and respect most about me? Mm -hmm. And write down those stories. Because those are examples of empowering beliefs that you have about yourself. It's maybe your friends have told you those things specifically, but I guarantee that some of those are just going to be assumptions that you have about what your family and your friends like about you. And when we make those empowering beliefs more visible, when we're more aware of them, same way that our mind wants to collect evidence for the negative beliefs, it will do the same for those empowering beliefs. And when we have those empowering beliefs, which we're not interacting with reality as it is, it's as we are. And one of the fun aspects is that we really get to play with these beliefs and with our identity, who we know ourselves to be. In addition to thinking about how we think our friends, people who love us, see us, is just to remind ourselves oftentimes, like, what, what have I already done that I respect about myself? It's that like we're on this hedonic treadmill where it's like the, this concept that basically like the, the body and the mind will always return to a level of kind of psychological stasis. Mm -hmm. And it's to protect us from when really bad things happen. Like there's research that shows that people who get uh, into have spinal cord injuries, that they've examined their level of subjective well-being. And over a period of, say, like five or so years, their level of happiness returns to the same level that it did before their spinal cord injury. Mm -hmm. And the thing about like that, again, protection mechanism in the mind to, to maintain stasis also means that when things are really, really good, we have this tendency to bring ourselves back to stasis where it's safer. And so what happens, it's like when we are achieving and achieving and achieving, we want more and more and more. And when we're always looking towards the future, it's very easy to feel like we're not doing enough. We're not stacking up compared to the people that we're looking at ahead of us. Like we're just not there. And so taking a moment to look back. And if you write a list of who am I and what have I already done? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like when I look back at like the nonprofits when I was 21 and the talks and the different things, when I look at these things, I am coming from a place of like, wow, 
I never thought I was going to create that thing. I doubted myself so much that Tribute mm -hmm. was ever going to be a company, right? And so now I show up in this moment looking at reality through the realm of possibilities because I can see all these ways that I've surprised myself and achieved and overcome. And now I'm operating into a frame of reality where people think positive things about me, where I'm capable and the world opens up from that. So place. what do you, and how does that differ from, um, affirmations, right? So I personally, I actually struggle with kinds of, you know, the practice of positive affirmations, telling people to do positive affirmations. I mean, I don't know if it's my like cynical New Yorker at heart where I, I immediately yeah, totally. go into like an eye roll where I'm like, okay, I'm going to stand in the mirror and be like, I am brave. I am bold. I am beautiful. I am worthy. Like there's something to me and listen, I'm not minimizing it if it works um, for you, but for me, totally. my initial reaction is like, ah, right? Like fingered on the throat. It grows I, down. I honestly, I love the feedback because I'm yeah. the same way. And well, that's why. So, well, I listen and it is, it really does bring up like an icky feeling in me because it just doesn't feel real. It feels very fake. Well, and now, but let me, let me, let me finish my thoughts. So there's a part of that too, that I can also, I question, uh, because I'm not a words person, if there's yeah. a connection in there for me, like I'm more of an, like if whatever, if we want to use like the love languages term, I'm more of an acts of service person, right? So for me, sure. it's like, I don't want to hear you talk about it. I want you to show me, right? Words don't mean very much to me. So the reason why I'm kind of going here, and I guess I'm trying to like bring this into a thought or a question is like, um, going back to what we were talking about earlier about that felt sense, right? Like I can have a felt experience of love as an action and then receiving the kind of love, right? Which to me feels different than saying it. Um, because to me, the words don't hold as much weight as the felt experience of the thing, right? So I think that for me is the ick factor. Not that I don't think it's amazing to have a practice of telling yourself how great you are, but to me, there's a different level of um, the way that it lands when it's like a felt experience, right? Uh, versus the said experience. And so I'm just curious to know like what your thoughts are on like, what is that line, right? With like a quote unquote positive affirmation versus what you're saying. For sure. It's my practice. Like I don't relate to it as positive affirmations, I relate to it as remembering. Hmm, and okay. what I think about here, which is so important again, is that I talked about Brad Pitt, right? It's yeah. like, I am Brad Pitt. I am Brad Pitt sexy. Like that's an affirmation, but it's like, I don't right. fucking believe that. And you know, it's like, in my body, I'm like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that, you know? And yeah. so like when I, when I do this and the practice of it again is taking a moment to look back so we can go forward mm. is you are remembering like what have i done that i am proud of it's right. there is a nothing here that tangible it's thing. it's a that's what i mean is that there is something that is tangible there and because of the way that mind works and it's constantly looking forward like we talked about that process is what i'm saying is that it's just not our natural process to consider the past we are so forward facing mm -hmm. and that what i oftentimes say is that to go forward it is oftentimes helpful to remember what we have already done that is tangible, right? Mm -hmm. What are the businesses that I have built? What are the challenges that I've overcome? What are the right. relationships that I've built, the relationships that I've ended? So we can look at those things. And naturally, our mind will make up a story about who we are. It's, I think, mm -hmm. that like our mind, our mind just kind of conceives of us as we are everything that we have ever done, who we are in this moment, and everything that we do moving forward. And taking a moment to look back at that 
really does help. And then what I would say again, is about affirmations is that the, the mind is a, as a meaning making machine, right? Like a pull from landmark is mm-hmm. this idea that our mind is going to make up stories about who we are to other people. Mm-hmm. And so like our mind is going to make up stories. We have an internal dialogue of how people perceive us, what people like about us, what people don't like about us, how they relate to us. And so this practice of thinking about that, our social identity through the lens of the people who love us and the people who respect us, it's again, it's like we are making up a story. But when we go through that process of like, when I think about like what my buddy Jonathan likes about me. He likes that I'm adventurous. He likes that I'm weird. He likes that I'm curious. He likes that I have amazing taste in music. It's like, I don't have to search for those things. Those are truths that I hold about this. And then when we're aware of these things that people like about us, again, we're just more aware of the empowering beliefs, which our mind does not automatically create. That is the part that takes work because our mind will automatically create those limiting beliefs as a protection mechanism. Right. So the empowering belief in that work of getting it down is helpful so we can start to collect evidence. But it's not, and I don't advocate for making up a story that right. doesn't feel in your body like, like there's real truth and to true. It. Right. 100%. I like that. I, like that I think the thing I'm still a little bit challenged, and I'd, I'd love for you to um, help me wrap around what I'm attempting to articulate is I love where you brought it back to adolescence. And I think so often when we talk about our pain points and our wounding, we talk about our family of origin. And similar to what you're saying, I experienced with so many clients that those original point of woundings are often, you know, the things the, the mean girls said about me or the ways that I was experienced and didn't get a sense of belonging. And what I find is that if our focus is sort of externally motivated, which I would say most people in our society is, like I get a sense of self from the way that other people experience me, I feel like that becomes like a bottomless pit of like, I need you to fill this. Now, I love what you're saying about like, I feel like I do this thing of what you're describing. Um, here's what I am doing that is making me feel proud. That is like how I source my sense of worth, but it's not sort of from like the external. It's like I build a, my self-esteem by keeping promises to myself and, you know, esteemable acts and things that I'm like, yeah, Danae, damn, I like, that made me proud of you. Right. Yeah. yeah. But also I, I, I see what you're saying because like, it's still like my teacher said something the other day that like, she was proud of me. And I was like, oh, but if I had been chasing that from her, it would have been a very different experience. Right. So it's, to me, it's this thing of like, we attract and we receive when that is the truth of how we feel about ourselves because we don't need it. Like, I'm not actually like looking for that, for that person to like fill me up and fill my cup with that like sense of self-worth. It's there. And when it's there, I start like receiving and attracting more of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And but I, I guess that- I'm just like wondering about like the reaching for the, like the stories of times people have, you know what I'm, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I bet. And I think that you, you just articulated like one of those empowering beliefs at the tail end of that, which is like when I'm here, Mm-hmm. this happens, right? It's like, when I know that it's there, it's like people just give me the validation, right? right? And it's like mm. this, which is again, just an example of a, a story that we have about the reality that we've accepted as true. And the more aware that we are of that, right? Which is like, when I'm in this knowing, validation just comes. I don't need yeah. to look for it. And so then I get to trust that. And it's kind of like when I get on a podcast and it, or a talk and I say, if I just trust the energy in the room, the mm. best, the best podcast is going to make itself abundantly clear. Mm. So now, I'd, like, I don't feel 
pressured as much anymore. I feel excitement, but it's because I just have this belief that I've put on there. And so, um, but yeah, I think you just showcase like the power of, uh, an empowering belief. And like, again, we're really clear about those. They can have a, a tremendous impact on how we interact with reality. You're speaking my language. I feel like everything you're saying is, um, just so resonant and true and the tools that I have certainly utilized in my own life to really create like the substantial shifts. And, um, I don't know. I love that you're empowering others to do the same. It's Thanks so much today. Yeah. yeah. I'm really so, enjoying it as well. So we, we send out like a questionnaire, right. To all of our guests. And one of the things you, you wrote down was, um, Maslow's what you called amended hierarchy of needs. And obviously as therapists, we are very aware of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I'm curious to know what you meant by amended. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is one of my favorite stories of all time. And we've talked a little bit about authenticity as a, as an act of service and, for me, when I learned about this, it, it just cemented that as kind of a fundamental truth of how I want to live life. And I think how people operate, what motivates them. And mm -hmm. so Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, kind of the, the quintessential uh, model on human development motivation. And so I may need some therapist help here. It's like, so we start at the very bottom, like physiological safety, then we have our uh, emotional needs. And we have, I believe, like our uh, community needs, esteem. And then at the top, we have actualization. Yep, what is actualization? Yeah. So actualization is just the manifestation of one's potential, right? And so that's, that's what we're all working towards. And you have to fill up those other layers of safety, security, belonging, esteem to get to actualizing our potential. And so what I learned was that uh, towards the end of his life, um, Maslow developed a relationship with Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. And Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, uh, mm -hmm. author of Man's Search for Meaning, and like, one of the quintessential scholars and academics on, on purpose and, and human motivation. And there is a series of letters that you can look up where you see correspondence. And uh, Maslow's son released these after his death. And you can see a correspondence that developed between uh, Maslow and Frankel. And it was in this correspondence that you could see that uh, Maslow was fundamentally and had been for many years unhappy with his model. He felt that it was incomplete. He did not feel that it was accurate. And what he learned in his relationship with Frankel was fundamentally that the idea of self-actualization as the pinnacle of human motivation was a false paradox mm. because what he realized is that if our object, if our goal was to actualize the self, that the very moment of actualization would just lead to a new precipice of potential, right? So if we actualize the self, then concurrently, there is a new precipice of potential that is now available to us. So we would never be able to actualize the self. What he realized is that if we want to actualize the self, our goal, our object needed to be greater than the self. Mm -hmm. And so he amended the hierarchy of needs. So it's no longer self-actualization at the top. It is self-transcendence. And this is where we started talking about purpose. Mm -hmm. And self-transcendence is the commitment to something that is greater than the self. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that if we want to become everything that we can be in this lifetime, 
we need to have an object or a goal that is greater than the self. And that can be a single relationship. It can be a community. It can be a cause. It can be a company. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, it's to, to become who we can be. It's we need to have goals that are bigger than the self. And that's why I think this belief about authenticity as an act of service is so helpful. It's like to be ourselves, to express ourselves fully. It's like that is a practice that will be in until the end of our days here. But when we truly believe that that act is uplifting other people, liberating their own freedom to express themselves, it's going to be much easier for us to do that for ourselves. And so that's Maslow's amended hierarchy of needs. How do I serve? How do I serve? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful, Andrew. Yeah, Just... I also heard. I mean, I, I I never heard about the correspondence between him and Franco, which makes sense. Um, and I'm I'm going to look into that more. But I I did hear. I don't remember where it was, but I I did hear something around the language of self actualization being kind of changed or amended, right, into more of um, which is why I kind of said spirituality. Uh, quietly when you were first talking about it, because it was around spirit, spirituality, something higher than self uh, yeah. versus the language totally. around self-actualization that I, I heard that he did amend it to, but I didn't realize it was in conjunction with Frankel, which, which like I said, makes sense. I mean, and anybody who's mm -hmm. listening who has never read that book should, it should be required reading for every human on this planet. We actually read it in grad school. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty profound. Awesome. Mm. Well, all right, Andrew. So we have a lightning round of questions that we ask all of our guests. And um, the first question we have for you is, um, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have impacted your journey up to this point, whether they're people you know, or just their work has really impacted you? Oh, man. Um, you know, I would say my I, I just came out of a 10-year relationship. And wow, it makes me really like... It's, it's nice to say this. I've never really mm -hmm. said it before, but I just came out of a 10 year marriage and I, I share a son with this woman and it was an incredibly loving, incredibly fiery and electric relationship, but mm -hmm. without a question of a doubt, like navigating and deepening and uncoupling and the whole process was definitely my greatest teacher. So I'd say that that relationship and, and Mickey, uh, who's amazing. But again, I think that what's most important to me in life or relationships. And that's certainly been the one that has been the, the deepest and has contributed the most wisdom. And so I would say that that stands out to me as mm -hmm. like the, the greatest teacher thus far. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. So the second question we ask everybody, which is funny because this is basically what our whole conversation has been around is around <laughs> flow, right? So what is that thing? And I feel like I kind of know this now based on what we've been talking about. Like, <laughs> like what is flow for you, right? Like what is that thing that you are doing when you find yourself in that state of like, I can blink my eyes and an entire day goes by. I don't even realize. Yeah. So I already mentioned surfing and that is definitely one for me. I, I have a, a, a I'd call it a spiritual relationship with You're surfing. And I actually was how, how do you here. surf? <laughs> how are you surfing? Well, this this is why I moved to I moved to Texas. I immediately buy a boat, and yeah. so I, I and there's wake surfing, which is very fun. And I actually have a surf mm -hmm. park out here now. So where you know where if someone really loves surfing, they'll find a way. But uh, this past year, I taught actually 36 people to surf because I I love surfing so much, and so. I kind of had this crazy idea. I said, well, if I love it so much and I love teaching, 
like, what would it be like if I taught 20 people to surf? And over the year, I ended up teaching 36 people to surf. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that where I find the most flow, and that's why I just love surfing, but also I, I love teaching and I love experience design. So I love the, the artistry of experience design. And I think that I get so lost in the creation of that. And my favorite definition of art is art is the intentional arrangement of objects and things to engage the senses. And I had this epiphany in 2017 when I planned my engagement party, which is that, oh, like I arranged all these people. I got them all in white. I bust them up to a house on the river in Hudson and uh, had DJs with uplights and fire pits and you know, like fire made like food by this incredible chef. And then I, I woke up the next morning and I was like, that is the single thing I'm most proud of in my entire life mm -hmm. because it was just the, the artistry of it, the people, the words and the wisdom, the connection that was shared. And I just, that's like the peak expression of my being. And now I, I get to do that for a living with, you know, my retreats and other things and to create these types of experiences that have some sort of value outside of just the event, but that people really take away from them. And so like when I'm, when I'm there, I'm fully lost into it. And it's mm -hmm. like that I, again, it's like part of my practice is I want other people to be able to find that kind of freedom to throw themselves and not need to think about who they are, how they're perceived, but just to be completely real. And so I have to do that now to teach this to other people. And so that's certainly a place where I find the most flow. I have to say, you just gave me, I'm going to talk about myself for a second. You just gave me a lot of personal validation because <laughs> I love doing things like that too. And yet yeah. it's always felt like, uh, I just love that you basically called it art, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that for me, it's it's always come from, or at least I've always thought that it came more from like a place of control, a place of like wanting things to be a certain way and look a certain way. And like, while that might be partially true, there's actually always been like a, a filling up that I get from the, the artistry, the creativity that comes from Amen. that. And um, so I, I never really thought about it or articulated it in that way. So I appreciate that. Thank you for that validation. You're an artist. <laughs> Let, claim it. <laughs> Love it. And Andrew, what breaks your heart? <sighs> what breaks my heart? <sighs> <laughs> Oh, what breaks my heart? Uh, people in pain, um, people who are disconnected. I think something that I felt really disconnected to um, recently in my work has been the shame of men. And mm -hmm. that really comes up to me right now, but the shame of men. And I know you had my brother Connor on, not actual brother, but really close <laughs> friend Connor on recently to talk about men. Um, but I, I talked to Esther Perel as an old friend and I asked her because she's, you know, now getting more involved in men's work and talking on it. And I said, like, what do, what do men most need to hear right now? Um, and she's just said, it's like, it's all about shame. And it's mm -hmm. the, like the amount that men are holding on to around not being enough, being unlovable and just like the difficulty of creating spaces where that can really be welcomed in and met and accepted and integrated is few and far between. And, and I, we do really visceral work to give that shame a space so we can kind of integrate that. And, um, so that breaks my heart is just, is feeling connected to how much so many men are holding and how that impacts their relationships in the world in unintentional and, 
oftentimes detrimental ways. Yeah. All right. And then we'll end it on a little bit of a different note. What is your favorite? <laughs> I was going to say, please don't end on the shame question. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> we, won't, we, won't, we, we won't leave you there. What is your favorite food? Oh, this is one of my favorite questions. I always ask people, your last, your last meal uh, on earth, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Which is a more difficult one to answer than like, what is my favorite food? Oh, man. <laughs> my, my favorite food is I have... I've created like, uh, like this, this shirt that I'm wearing, I have several of these and I oftentimes will find things that I like, and then I will just do that until I get really bored of it. And so right now I have found like the, the perfect meal that I'm not sick of, that is easy to make, that is so delicious. And it is just broccoli, carrots, cremini mushrooms, onions, uh, Brussels sprouts and I grill chicken and put coconut liquid aminos on it. And I'm so happy with it. And I just, <laughs> I and I make food in your face when you're talking I about just, making it. <laughs> because it's, it's just like things that make it easy to be really healthy. Like it's, it's mm. literally, it's been for probably six months, but I just love eating this thing. And so why mm. I love it so much is because it just makes it easy and thoughtless to take the, to do the thing that makes me feel best. You know, and I genuinely love it. And also, I'll just drop this little nugget in here because it's the best. There is a keto white chocolate that um, it's called uh, Evolved. It has a monkey on the label. And it's it's sweetened with like Jerusalem artichoke hearts and monk fruit. And it's transformed my diet. I like eat it every single day. It doesn't make me fat. And it's the best. So. So that is you say what's your favorite food? I'm like, I would like to bathe in a vat of macaroni and cheese. That is very different than you being like, here's this white chocolate that's sweetened with monk fruit. (laughs) I love it. Well, Andrew, you know, the energy of your authenticity and your warmth is just so unbelievably magnetic. I can see why you're having such an impact in the world. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and just (laughs) right in the middle of giving you all the praise. (laughs) <laughs> feel like the energy of your warmth and your authenticity is so unbelievably magnetic from the moment you sat down. It's just so felt and I can see why you're having such an incredible impact in the world. So thank you for the way that you are showing up. Um, just so appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us truly. Thank you so much for having me. And it felt very natural and energizing to be with you both. So I really appreciate what you're doing and love being able to drop in. Before we let you go, just let all of our listeners know kind of where they can connect with you, where they can find you, repeat the name of your book, all that good jazz. Yeah, absolutely. So for all my personal stuff, whether that's speaking, retreats, coaching, that's at itsandrewhorn.com. Uh, we have several men's retreats happening all over the U.S. That's at wejunto.com. Um, and we have our first social flow retreat, which is that four-question framework for confidence effective communication and deeper connection happening in Costa Rica this summer. Mm -hmm. So if any of that stuff is interesting, you want to dive deeper here, double click on any of that. And then also, I don't know if you ever do giveaways, but I have this company called Tribute that has sent 6 million group video montages on birthdays, weddings, graduations, but I'm happy to offer a free code for all of your listeners if you want to throw that into the show notes. So uh, amazing. Yeah. So especially if you have a parent or best friend, someone with a birthday, get them a tribute on Danae and Vanessa. And, uh, <laughs> I, promise us, make I love it we'll put Beautiful. all that in the show notes thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy 
you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.